New on CuriosityStream, Darwin's theory of evolution, a scientific breakthrough, but 1920s Tennessee wasn't ready for it. It became the Bible versus evolution. Followed a heated trial that changed American education forever on Monkey in the Middle. And it's the country's deadliest highway. There were something like 178 accidents in a 10-year period. Don't miss the most dangerous road in America. Watch now on CuriosityStream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. My granny and I were born with the same unusual condition. We both have polydactyly, which means that we have six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. But it's not just that we have an extra finger. It can also be used as it has functional bones and joints. This type of polydactyly is extremely rare, but it's not the only unusual thing that we share. Namely, ever since I could remember, I was able to see bright, shiny globes circling around people. Nobody else seemed to be aware of them, and that was also confusing to me, as the globes were shining like little suns. I had one orbiting around me too, and so did my grandma. When I was seven, she told me that those globes of light were our guardian angels, and that they existed to protect us. When I asked, from what, she remained silent. My parents knew how much I loved spending time with my grandma, especially upon learning that we can both see the angels. They did not believe me and thought that those were just stories that she liked to tell me. That's why I stopped telling my mom and dad about the shiny balls, but I could easily see theirs and they were so gentle and warm towards me, just like my own or my grandma's. My parents were very good people and they loved me dearly, so they were letting me spend every summer at my grandma's house. She lived alone in a small village where she had a vineyard and a small chicken farm. She enjoyed my stays and never shouted at me, even when I did some stupid kid stuff like kicking a ball to her petunias or breaking their pot, or falling in deep mud in the vineyard during a rainy day. She wasn't angry at me, even when I made a slug castle in her garden from which the slugs ran away and ate all of her cucumbers. Needless to say, I was very happy to spend time with her and some other kids in the village, and I loved her brownies so much. That summer was no different. I was 12, she was 75, and we couldn't wait to spend more time with each other. The summer was exceptionally warm and humid that year, so we were mostly staying home except in the mornings and evenings. Unfortunately for me, that was the year I got my first period. My granny was happy to go to the village's shop and buy me my first pads. She calmed me and told me that bleedings were normal and that I'm not a child anymore. I was becoming a woman. However, she said quietly, turning around the room, if you begin seeing something else, tell me. I didn't know what she was meaning at that point. I wasn't seeing anything unusual, except, of course, our bright guardian angels. My summer stay was as fun as always until the last week of August. The Wednesday morning started as warm, but heavy. It felt like it was going to rain hard. The storms were not unusual in August, but I've never felt such humidity in my life. The air had some strange smell and it was heavy to breathe. My guardian angel also seemed unsettled. The sphere of light was shaking and shimmering, similarly to stars during the cloudy nights. The storm clouds were approaching. Their hue was unnaturally dark, a shade between steel blue and dark brown. I've never seen such heavy clouds in my life, and they also seemed to produce some unusual high-pitched sound. My grandma burst into the room. You need to leave now, she exclaimed. She has come. 
I've never seen such an expression of pure horror before, but my granny was having it right now in her sweaty face. I quickly got out of bed, dressed into the first clothes that I was able to grab and I picked up my bags as quickly as I possibly could. Grandma was helping me, but she had problems with her joints, which made the packing process painful. We heard loud thunder, and I also thought that I was hearing something else. That weird high-pitched voice from before, but now it was louder. Granny, is she producing this screeching noise? I asked, not knowing who was she, nor why was my grandma so concerned about her. But grandma had no time to answer me. She pushed me outside, but before she could reach her car, the heavy hail began falling from the sky. The ice pieces were as big as tennis balls, so we couldn't walk around. The wind was blowing so hard that we could feel the cold in our bones. It carried hail all over the place, breaking tree branches, vineyards, and destroying roofs of the old village houses. Granny, we need to go inside, I screamed, but my grandma was unresponsive. She was staring to the sky, towards the darkest clouds. I turned my head up, and I saw her. Thousands of long, tornado-like swirls of air were coming out of the cloud, twisting around the orchards and vineyards, almost as if wanting to destroy every last fruit. They looked like tentacles and were attached to a huge black mass in the clouds. The substance seemed darker than anything I've seen in my life. It was black, viscous, and constantly changing shape. Suddenly, with a blast of thunder, I saw a large flaming ball rushing towards the blackness. I turned my head toward my grandma, and I saw that her guardian angel was missing. She was holding her hands clasped and silently praying. I took a look upon the sky again. Grandma's guardian angel had collided with the black mass. He wasn't able to penetrate it. He simply bounced off, but the mass was not cloud-like anymore. It was more like black scales. She let out an alarming scream that sounded like cries of thousands of people being tortured. Granny's guardian angel struck again, but he bounced off the scales with a flash of light once more. The light got reflected off an exceptionally smooth surface, like glass. It began following the angel and my heart almost stopped. It was an eye, and it was attached to a head. I don't know how to describe that head. Maybe because it was so black, maybe it was because I was so shocked. I knew that it had teeth. They were probably yards long and uncountably numerous. It also had a snout, some other kinds of openings, but I couldn't really get a good idea of what they were resembling. It was a mashup of a horse, dog, snake, worm, and who knows what else. And it had hair that was forming the dark clouds. Or maybe that just resembled hair. Maybe those were the tornado-like tentacles swiping away everything from the face of the earth. Granny's guardian angel was being chased by the mouth. She opened it up and its gape was miles wide. Icy fluids were oozing out of it. She was spitting them towards the ball of light, but the angel was avoiding them. The horrible goo was dripping all over the village in the form of hail. She was getting frustrated, so she let her long, indescribably long, scaly body out of the clouds. It was covered with bottomless black eyes that were visible as black holes on the reflective surface of her coal-like scales. But suddenly, she emerged even further, transforming her mass into a grotesque act of a woman. Her body was covering the entire sky, but her arms and feet were hidden inside the clouds. 
The angel turned towards her, towards a headless torso covered with black hole eyes. Her navel opened wide, revealing a mouth on her belly, full of long, black, tentacled teeth and rows. The tentacles began whipping around the angel, but it was cutting through, shimmering and flashing with bright white light. She didn't like it. Her awful eyes were blinking and hiding themselves underneath the skin. My granny was still praying. Her lips were shaking and moving. I could hear her heartbeat even through her screams. Meanwhile, she decided that she's had enough fun with the guardian angel. She tore up the wound on her belly, opening her body up and twisting it outwards. The whole sky was blood red, the fluids and organs oozing from it like drops of black rain. Her whole internal structure began encircling my granny's guardian angel. He furiously began hitting her insides, but she seemed not to be in pain. Quickly, the light of the angel began to wear off as she swallowed it in the darkness, closing up her body into a mass of black scales and peering eyes. My grandma stopped praying. All her eyes were upon us. She opened her mouth, thousands of black-toothed tongues dripping out of it. Her enormous size seemed to shrink as she approached us. Her mouth was open wide. I wanted to move. I wanted to run. I wanted to help my granny, but I was paralyzed by what I saw. Her tentacled hair was full of people, naked bodies of all ages, tangled up, some bleeding, some disfigured, but all in great pain. They were producing the high-pitched noise I heard, as they were all screaming and crying. Their expressions were something that I can still see in my darkest nightmares. The horrors these people were going through were maybe even more terrifying than her. She swallowed my grainy hole and went up to the sky, carrying away her stanch of rotting flesh and screams of thousands. I believed I was able to distinguish my grandma's voice among them before falling unconscious. When I woke up, I saw a bunch of paramedics and my parents around me. I was still in Granny's garden. Both my mom and dad were crying. I stood up and asked, Where's Granny? She had a heart attack, my dear, my mom replied. She's in a better place now. I stood up and rushed towards the paramedics. There was also Granny's favorite neighbor in tears. He was the one to call the ambulance and my parents. My granny was being packed into one of those large black rubber bags. She wasn't swallowed. Was that a dream? Years have passed since that incident now and I can tell you with certainty that it wasn't a dream. Ever since I came home to the city, I was able to see her almost on a daily basis. Her black body was always above the hospitals. She was lurking atop the most dangerous parts of the city. Whenever there was a serious car accident on the news, I could see her gobbling up the souls of the ones involved. I've never seen my grandma again entangled in her tentacled hair, nor any of those terrifying people in pain. But I saw some other people, those that have died. She was carrying them somewhere, feeding on their guardian angels that were fighting her. Some she would eat right away, but most were willing to fight her for hours. Yet I've never seen a guardian angel win. Were they really created to protect us? Or just to be her prey? I am aware that one day she will come to devour me as well. My dreams are filled with her dark eyes, countless tongues and grotesque shapes. But I know that she isn't evil. She's just inevitable. With her insatiable hunger, she comes to us. 
I don't know where she comes from, but I know that she will come to me as well. She's also coming for you. Who knows? Maybe we'll meet her tomorrow. So beware of her. Memento Mori. Tom and I were both neurology students in our senior year. I think it all started when his mother died a few months ago. A drunk driver crashed into her car. I am minoring in theology, but my friend was an atheist, which is why her death hit him so hard. He stopped going out with friends and stopped showing up at social occasions. He didn't show up to class. His girlfriend was empathetic, but broke up with him after three months of his abject listlessness. As a Christian, I never understood his absolute rejection of the divine. If you apply scientific logic to theology, you will arrive at the conclusion that since there is no empirical evidence of God, God does not exist. I disagree. Great scientists like Albert Einstein believed in God. The cold logic of science cannot and should not be applied to some things, and the realm of the divine is one of them. I understand now, more clearly than ever, why some things should not be scrutinized under a keen eye, lest we discover something best left ignored. I talked to Tom about God, the human soul in the afterlife. His mother was a good person. She gave food to the homeless and helped the less fortunate. I remember when I had this conversation with him, he laughed. There was a glint in his eyes that I had not seen before. Then he asked me, what if I can prove definitely that everything you just told me is false? In hindsight, I should have known Tom was not the joking type of person. Instead, I laughed with him and shrugged it off. To understand what happened next, some context is needed. There was a homeless man who appeared very often in our campus, which is also very close to where Tom lived. Judging by his accent, he was probably Eastern European. He could not remember his name and was likely an amnesiac, so students in the campus called him John Doe. He was friendly and approachable, so people generally accepted his presence. A few days after our conversation, John Doe stopped appearing around the campus. Nothing was done about it. He had no family, so nobody cared enough to investigate. A week or so after John disappeared, I stopped by his apartment after class one evening to see how he was doing. After a few beers or so, Tom told me to follow him. We stopped in front of the bathroom door. Remember when you told me about the human soul? He asked. I know you meant well. You were trying to make me feel better and all, but bottom line, I think we should all be happier knowing the truth rather than live on a bed of lies. He saw my discomfort and added, I don't mean to hurt you or anything. I'm just trying to figure shit out. I need to know what you think about this. Suddenly something heavy slammed against the wooden door. Tom pulled the door open and inside the room was John Doe. He was in a sitting position on a plastic fold-up chair. He growled as we entered. His pupils darted to glare at us. I knew instinctively that something was very wrong with him. His hands were tied behind his back and his legs fastened to the chair. There were burn marks on his forehead. Beside him were some used saline pads from the campus laboratory attached to a car battery. What is the soul? Tom asked me. From what I gather from reading the Bible, the Talmud, and the Quran, the soul is, in a word, human consciousness. The texts don't agree completely on the details, but they agree that all humans have souls, and the human souls can exist without a body in the afterlife. John growled and snapped at us. 
The tendons in his neck and limbs were stretched tight as he struggled to free himself. He opened his mouth, emitting a guttural scream. Look at him, Tom said. He held his hand in front of John Doe, who lunged forward to bite him and missed. He is definitely conscious, but at the same time, you definitely cannot call him a human because he no longer remembers anything, no longer speaks, no longer feels emotions like love or sadness or empathy. What the hell did you do? I remember asking. I cooked his frontal lobe, was the reply. My question is, Daniel, where is John's soul? If he had a soul, some kind of innate spiritual consciousness, and if it were in heaven or hell right now, how do you explain the creature we are looking at? Who is piloting that body? He is neither conscious nor unconscious. The creature we are looking at is living proof that John Doe never had a soul. What the hell did you do? I yelled. Why the hell did you do this? Because Daniel, Tom said, turning his back on John to glare at me. I hate you and all the people who pretend to give a damn for telling me empty lies. I don't want false solace. I am a scientist. I want the truth. This is the truth. I heard something snap. I realized John Doe had gotten free of his restraints. Days and nights of tireless and fervent pulling at the polyester ropes that held him, something no sane person could have done, had yielded him his freedom. Tom yelled and in the chaos that ensued I remembered seeing blood splurting from Tom's throat. Everything felt distant, like something out of a drug-fueled nightmare, but my instinct pulled me from the floor and I scrambled into the nearby bedroom and locked the door. There were sounds of something hard cracking from outside the door, what I presume is the sound of bones breaking. The stench of iron filled my nostrils, then John Doe started scratching at the door. His burnt synapses probably meant he could not figure out the mechanism of a door handle, but after several failed attempts, he started repeatedly slamming his torso against the wood, relentlessly, tirelessly, and exactly like how he snapped the polyester rope. I suspect the damage to his brain meant his sense of pain has been dulled as well. I've contemplated using the window as a means of escape if necessary. I might break my legs, but it is a better fate than what befell Tom. Alternatively, I have a pair of scissors from Tom's desk. If the worst case scenario happens, that John's body manages to break through the door before the police arrive, I will need to defend myself. He is still slamming fervently against the door as I type, but the hardwood can take a few blows. Wherever John is, I hope it is a better place. Get ready for the smartest bundle in streaming. Six streaming services for the intellectually curious. Featuring CuriosityStream with the best collection of documentary films and TV shows. Psalm TV and great stories from the world of wine. Taste Made for the fun side of food and travel. Topic with the best thrillers and crime stories. And so much more. From nature to history, technology to food, mystery to adventure. Get six streaming services for one low price. And less than $6 a month, it's the best deal in streaming. Learn more and sign up now at SmartBundle.com.